You're listening to episode 63 of the Journey to Launch podcast. Journey your profile, Lynn Amores, and how a massive stroke almost derailed her path to FI. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. We're at episode 63, and I am bringing you a new feature to the podcast. This episode is going to be featuring a journeyer just like yourself. So this is my first journeyer profile interview. And basically what that means is that I am actually interviewing someone in the journey to launch community. So someone who's just like you, who is on the path, they have not necessarily reached FI financial independence just yet, but they have a story to share. They have something that I think may relate to someone listening. And if you haven't realized already, so I know I love to bring on different types of people and sometimes they're like polarizing, like opposites, right? Like one interview, I'm talking to someone who is spending money on a Rolex, you know, they're saving up to do that. And then another interview I may be talking to, and I have talked to people who are super frugal, who would never want to even buy an expensive watch. But I love being able to talk to different types of people who are doing different things that works for them. Because I really do feel like the journey to financial independence is unique and it's going to be different for all of us. And it's okay if it looks different. It's okay if your path is different than your neighbors or someone else. And so I really wanted to be able to bring on just everyday people because sometimes you just need to maybe hear from someone who you can relate to, maybe someone who doesn't have it all figured out and is still on the path. And so that's what I'm bringing you with this series. I really hope you guys enjoy it. If you enjoy it, I'll continue to do more of it. And so let me know. Let me know what you think of this. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 63 for show notes. And so if you're digging this new series, if you're digging how everything's going, send me a message at me on Instagram, Twitter, send me a message on Facebook, Journey to Launch. I'm there and let me know what you think of this. So this profile is going to be about Lynn Amores. Lynn is someone who has been a great member of the community, the Journey to Launch community. She actually signed up to a couple of the things I did. So she, I remember first took my budgeting bootcamp class, and then she signed up to my group coaching class that I did. And she just always stood out to me because she was so involved, so willing to ask questions and to learn and When I announced that I was doing this series, she was one of the first people to say she wanted to participate. What really caught my attention with her was that she has a really amazing story of coming here as an immigrant and then working her way up to becoming a doctor and then having a very, very big event happen in her life that almost set her back and could have ruined all of her financial progress. And so we're going to talk about that in this episode. You're actually going to hear Lynn refer to the budget boot camp that she took with me and a few other journeyers a few months ago. And I'd be remiss not to let you know where you can find the budget boot camp yourself. It's funny, I had no idea that Lynn was going to really like 
say it or promote it as much as she did. But I said to myself, well, there might be someone else listening who's struggling with how to create a budget or how they can stick to one. So I might as well let them know how they can find my budget bootcamp. So you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash budget bootcamp to check it out. Before we get started, just wanted to say if you are enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to share this with your family and friends. This is how the podcast gets more out there, how we can grow and take over the world. (laughs) Also, if you're enjoying this and you're listening to this in Apple Podcasts, that's that purple app on your phone, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps with the discoverability and the validity of the podcast. It really helps when there are people commenting and it's authentic comments of you guys saying that you love the show and that it's bringing you value. All right. So without further ado, let's talk to Lynn and then stick around for the end. I'm going to share with you how you can submit to also become featured on the podcast as a journey or profile. All right, let's get started. Hey, journeyers, I'm coming to you with a special journeyer profile. We have on journeyer Lynn Amores. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Jamila. Good morning. Good morning. So this is morning time that we're recording this, guys. But how are you doing, Lynn? I wanted to have you on because just to give people some sort of background and reference. So I'm doing the new series, as many of you guys know, and I've asked for people who are interested to be on the series to fill out this form so I can get an idea of your story, what it is that you're about, and what makes your story unique, but not in a unique way, meaning that you have to like have accomplished a major, big, huge thing, but just what about your story I think will resonate with others. And I also know you because you're very active in the Facebook community. I know you listen to the podcast. You were in one of my group coaching sessions that we did. So I thought you were the perfect person to come on and really talk through your journey. So again, welcome. Sure. Thank you. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you currently live, just generalization, like your age and where you are on the path to FI. Okay. So I'm in Southern California. I am about to be 45 years old. I'm actually not from California. I'm from back East. So I grew up in West Virginia and I came out here for education and professional reasons and I've been here ever since. Right. I'm a family doctor and I have two boys. One's 10 years old and one is eight years old. You know, in terms of the FI journey, it's interesting. I wasn't really looking for financial information specifically when I started out. Around 2016, I was learning about the Marie Kondo decluttering method Mm -hmm. and just about decompressing. And I was in this mode of trying to decompress my life. My kids were still pretty small then. Life was really hectic. My older one had started kindergarten already and we were just sort of transitioning into this phase where I could actually kind of think about that kind of stuff and really kind of refocus my life. So I was reading the Marie Kondo book What's it called? The joy of... The joy of tidying up. Yes. (laughs) Which depending on actually, guys, when this airs, I have an episode just on that. Oh, cool. The condo method with an expert. It's either you're going to have heard it already or you'll be hearing it soon. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah, I look forward to that. So I was listening to that and I had this long commute. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to read other than that book once in a while. It took me a while to read it. And I found the Minimalist podcast. 
And I was hooked. I was hooked on that. I was listening to it every day, twice a day for a while. I was listening to an episode where they talked about financial decluttering or something like that. I don't remember which podcast or which blog they mentioned. It might've been Mr. Money Mustache or one of these blogs have been around for a really long time. And so I kind of looked into that and then I just started poking around on the podcast app and I found your podcast, Jamila. <laughs> so I've listened to every episode of yours and there were a few other ones that I really like. One of them was Choose Five. I listened to that one a lot too. And so I really started kind of taking this five thing seriously well, first of all, being a family in an expensive place to live, I'm constantly having to find ways to cut spending here, there, and everywhere else. And then I think I was uh, listening to your podcast, mm-hmm. and I looked at your blog. I think you had mentioned on your podcast that you had that budget boot camp. Yeah, so it probably was a budget boot camp or one of the things. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I had never really done anything like that before. I had read about budgeting, but I felt like I really needed someone almost like like you offered like a course or something like that. So then I looked into it and I thought, Oh, I think this will really help me. And so I took your course and it was awesome. I like devoured it. I did all the things I did all the write down everything you spend and look at the look back, right? The three months look back. Oh my goodness. So that was eye opening. <laughs> <laughs> that was so helpful. And I just kind of learned how to systematize it for myself. We're going to get more into kind of where you are now, but I find it interesting. So you live in Southern California. You're a doctor. You slipped that in. So high profession, I'm assuming that you have debt because of this, because of your degree, or have you paid that off? Yes. So I do. Compared to most graduates, it's very small amount, but it's something that I still think about a lot and I want to pay it off. So I went to a state school and I know I knew when, when I was applying for medical schools that If you go to medical school in state, meaning where you're a resident of that state, the cost is significantly lower than if you were to go out of state, whether you were going to an out-of-state private school or an out-of-state public school, by tens of thousands of dollars per year. And part of me thought, well, if I'm going to be doing this doctor thing and if I'm going to try to really make something out of all these years of studying and having a good income, I don't want a big chunk of my income to go back to paying my loan, something in the past. I didn't want something like that to feel like it was holding me back. And I didn't really have any big sort of schemes in terms of what I'm going to do with this money when I'm a doctor. I just didn't want to have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really researched much, but I just had this, I guess it was my intuition. And then that was confirmed because Fast forward to seven, eight years later, when I was graduating from residency, I was talking to a friend of mine who she had gone to private schools, both for her undergraduate for college and for medical school. And she was looking at having to pay back $2,000 a month Mm, in student mm, right, Right. So I think that I had that hunch going into it. So you just knew that you didn't want it. So it's really smart and a good tip for anyone who's looking into the, maybe this profession is to go to an in-state school because it's going to be a lot less in terms of if you go somewhere else. So, yes. okay, you still have debt, but not as much as you would have had if you weren't as smart about it, right? Oh, no. It's probably like the amount of having a nice car. Right. Versus having a house. <laughs> 
paying off ass. But the reason I guess is that you still felt, even though you're a doctor and your student loan debt wasn't that high, you still felt like you could be doing more with your finances. And so in terms of the big life change. So one of the things that I know about you is that last year you had something very pivotal happened in your life, right? Yes. And that I'm assuming really, really changed a lot. So talk about that. And if that was also one of the reasons that prompted you into learning about this. Oh, yes. So last year, about a year ago, I had a stroke and it was very sudden and very unexpected. I've always been super active my whole life, fairly healthy eater. I mean, not the best, but I have a pretty active lifestyle. And so in June of last year, I had a stroke. It happened in the middle of the day. It was one of those things where I wasn't feeling well for about a week or so. And I just kind of knew something was wrong. I thought maybe I was coming down with something. And I came home from work one day and I left work early, actually, because I was not feeling well. I was feeling dizzy and just sort of out of it. And I got home and the symptoms just got worse. And I ended up in the hospital. A couple of days later, they had diagnosed that I'd had a stroke. And we were all shocked because I literally, the only times I'd ever been hospitalized were when I had my kids and one minor surgery. But what they eventually figured out was that I had a hole in my heart that I didn't know about. Wow. It was a congenital heart thing. And I also had blood clots on my legs that I didn't know about. And that combined with the hole, the clot went up to my brain, but the symptoms were very subtle. So it took a while to diagnose, but that was all a big shock because I was hospitalized. I was in the ICU for about 10 days and thank God everything worked out. I had amazing doctors, so much support from my friends and family and I got better. And I spent a lot of that time because I wasn't able to go back to work. So I spent a lot of that time just sort of thinking about, okay, what's happening with our finances and what do I want to do in the future? To take a little pause, thank God you're okay. There's so many thoughts rushing to me right now, but one of them is that your doctor, we didn't mention this, but you are trained in uh, family practice. That's right. So you're a family doctor. Yes. And the symptoms that you were having were so small that you didn't even notice it. So you being a doctor that understands the body and health, did not even realize this was happening to you until it was almost, it's not too late because you're here, but it was late to the point where it something had to happen. So it's kind of scary for us lay people who are not doctors, who don't maybe know as much as you about the body and how things work about our own health. And then of course, put that on top of probably you realizing how short life is and <laughs> you have family, you have friends that you want to be around. And then this idea of, okay, my finances, how do my finances work into this where I want to be financially free and independent should I not be able to work anymore? So I know that was a lot, but those are all the thoughts that started rushing to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's two things to that. First of all, after it happened and I started to kind of come back to feeling a little bit more like I could think about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I had already started learning about financial independence. And so once that happened to me, I thought, okay, there are real reasons for wanting to go on the path to financial independence. And I lived through it, right? I had this major life altering event that made me realize, oh, well, I may not be able to go back to work the way I used to work, but do I really want to do that anyway? I mean, because it, 
it's so time consuming and so energy consuming. And I was not free to travel maybe. And I don't mean travel like world travel, fabulous places, but maybe just to go visit relatives because all our relatives are all and our closest friends were, are very far flung, like other parts of the country, other countries. And when I was working their usual hours and I had the salaried positions, like it was really hard to engineer a lot of that. I would have these times where I thought, well, wow, you know, I have the money to do this. I have the money to do that. I have the money to travel. I'm so fortunate that I can get to do these things. But then in some ways, sometimes I felt like it was a little bit of a trap. I mean, that's all sort of cliched, but after this stroke happened, it got me thinking like, well, how much of this do I want to reincorporate into my life? And how do I stay on the path to financial independence so that I can have a little bit more freedom? And also being midlife, you know, being a midlife person thinking, well, what have I done so far? And where do I take things from here? Right. That's great insight. And now I'm wondering in terms of since you found FI, so it's been a while now, what have you done? And what kind of strides have you made in your finances to get you closer to where you want to be? Well, actually, I think there were things that I had done before I even knew about financial independence that really helped me. So back when I was still in training and trying to prepare myself mentally for making money, because you know, when you're in training, you make $0. I think at one point I had <laughs> calculated it to how much we were paid and how many hours we worked per week. And it came out to like $6 per hour <laughs> during trainings. Well, there's going to be major shifts in my life. I'm going to end up making potentially six figures. I need to buckle down and learn about finances and how this stuff works. Because my family growing up, we didn't talk much about finances. And you immigrated here from the Philippines, right? Yes, my parents did. My parents did. And, you know, and they were both professionals. And so we didn't talk very much about finances, partly because we were very comfortable. Like my parents both came here as professionals. Sure, we struggled like most immigrant families, but we never had to worry about how we were going to pay for school. We went to private schools, my brother, my sister and I, all of that, all through college. So we didn't really talk much about finances. So I didn't, I didn't get much of a financial education. So I started reading all the books like Susie Orman and Jean Chatsky and all those people, whatever I could find at the library that really sort of caught my attention. And so I remember, I think I had read a small book about insurance mm -hmm. and there was a chapter about disability insurance. So I thought, well, I don't know what that is, but that sounds like a good idea because <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, okay, probably nothing will happen to me. You know, we all think nothing can happen to us, right? But in the case that something does, I don't want to be struggling after all these years of studying and becoming a high earner. And not just that, not just the money, but also just thinking I put all this time and energy and sacrifice into becoming a doctor. When all my friends were in their 20s and they were all like having fun running around New York City and doing all the fun things and going out. Like I didn't do any of that. I was in medical school. And so <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I put a lot into this. So I need to really do what I can to protect my investment because I really thought of it as an investment. I've invested that time and I invested into my education and my expertise and my knowledge. So I found a disability insurance agent this was way before your stroke, right? This was before I even finished residency, like just as I was finishing residency. That was in 2003. So that was a really long time ago. I signed up for it, paid for it monthly, never really thought about it. Hardly ever talked to my agent who now is one of my close friends <laughs> after all of this has happened. 
so fast forward to last summer and the disability policy kicked in after a certain waiting period. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I thought that was probably one of the smartest decisions I ever made in my entire life. Right. Okay. Let's pause here because I'm assuming in your twenties, you got this disability insurance. You were perfectly healthy, no thought or reason to do it, but you saw it or read that it was important in a personal finance book. You just got it. And that one move really helped secure and protect your family once you had this major medical event happen to you. So now I'm thinking, I'd have to even look. I don't even know if I have (laughs) disability insurance. I have insurance, but now I'm just curious. So let's just talk about that a bit, because I think this is something that a lot of people can then now go look into for themselves, even if they think they're perfectly healthy to make sure so you can have just regular insurance, like life insurance, health insurance, but it doesn't mean that you're covered for any disability stuff, right? So make sure you're looking at your policies. And if it does not have something like a disability portion that you get one. And I'm assuming, I don't know if you remember how much it was a month. Do you know? For you, I know it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. So for me, it was around $250 a month. So it's like a car payment, if that. And at the time, I didn't have a car payment. So I thought, well, I can handle that. I mean, $250 a month, and I'm going to be making somewhere around five figures a month as a full-fledged doctor. So I said, sure, I'll sign up for it. And this is the thing is that I believe most employers, I think if they're above a certain size, and I don't know if there's any sort of rules or regulations about if employers have to provide disability insurance, but a lot of them do. And I know my first job that they had a disability policy. And I I knew to kind of look at it because I knew already what disability insurance was. And I just remember, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember it being really slim. Mm. When you look at a disability policy, one of the main factors is what percentage of your regular income does it replace if you become disabled? Right. So I remember my work policy might have been appropriate for like an entry level worker or I don't remember if it was like a set amount or a percentage, but I remember thinking, oh, well, if I were to become disabled and I was down to that percentage of my usual income, that's going to be really hard. Right. Even like 250 for some people, $250 a month is a lot of money. So do you think it was that high because they were looking at your potential salary? So for you, it was more money versus like maybe a, a teacher or someone who's not earning as much? Yeah, I think the policy that you signed up for might be more you might be able to adjust for what your income is, but it has to be some sort of calculation or something that they do. I didn't get the details on that, but I know that when I decided to sign up for it, it replaces, I want to say around 60% of my income. So when you were out, when you had to start drawing down on it, it helped cover your family while you couldn't work. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we actually were saving money still. Last summer in our five journey, we were in a paying down. We had consumer debt, like credit card debt. And so we were paying that down because I hadn't taken any budgeting classes yet. So we, <laughs> right. had, we had some consumer debt and most of that was travel and stuff like that. But now I know not to do that because I know what a sinking fund is because I mm-hmm. learned that from your class too. So we had some consumer debt. We were, we were really close to paying that off. And then the stroke happened and then we had a pretty good cushion of savings. I mean, not a lot, but good. And then I took your budget boot camp 
about four months after the stroke because I was able to listen and learn and all that. And I learned how to budget. And then we ended up paying off everything. So we have no credit card, none of that. The only debt we have is our mortgage and my student loan, which is low five figures. Right. So what does FI look for you? Like, do you know at what point for you would reach FI and how long it's going to take you? I don't know the exact numbers. So my husband, and I haven't talked about what he does. He works in public service, generally public services, and he has a pension and he's had it since he was in his 20s. And I think there's some sort of calculation, the number of years served time, something else. So when I looked recently at what our monthly income would be from that, and then what we have saved up from our retirement, we, I think that we could potentially retire. I think we would reach our fine number. Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should know this. Right. And somewhere between seven to 12 years. Seven to 12 years. I mean, that's excellent. I mean, in terms of just starting to understand and know, because a lot of people don't know what their FI number is or at what point they are going to reach it. And for you, though, you feel like in seven to 12 years, combined with your husband's pension and then your money saved up, that you two could both walk away from actively working. Right. Yeah. And we could do things that we've been wanting to do, I guess. And I think for me, especially now, it's almost as if this is starting sooner. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not able to go back to traditional clinical medicine where you're in clinic five days a week for anywhere from 10 to however many hours. I'm not able to do that. And at the time of the show, honestly, for a year or two before that, I was even questioning if that was something I wanted to do. So I think that learning about FI and how it all works was part of me thinking to myself, do I really want to be doing this for another 20 years? Can I do this for another 20 years? Like, oh, this is really kind of intense. And I have a lot of other interests anyway. So I thought, well, how can I cut back on my clinical practice so that I can have more time and and energy in my life to incorporate other things? So I think that sort of drew me towards the FI community and the FI path. So do you feel like you're able to do some of that now? So you said that you feel like you're doing that earlier. So what does your life look like now? How is it different? How do you feel like you've reached a level of freedom already? Well, first of all, I think because I have that protection, I signed up for the disability insurance. I don't feel like I have to scramble to do things to make money and to force myself to go back to work in some capacity before I'm actually ready to do that. So that's one thing that's changed. And then I have more time to be with my kids in a way that I hadn't been able to. So they're in fifth grade and third grade now. And I'm able to volunteer at their school at least once a week. And they started a few weeks ago. So I've been doing that. And also just to have more energy to spend time with them versus feeling so drained and just trying to get from point A to point B, take your shower, eat your dinner, go to bed, that whole sort of (laughs) that whole grind. (laughs) It's a grind. So I feel like I have more patience and more energy for them. So that's a huge thing. And then also, I joined a mastermind. So I was listening to, do you listen to the fire drill podcast? Oh yeah. Those are my homegirls. Yeah. (laughs) I love their podcast. It was one of the ones I found around the same time I found yours. 
And they do these masterminds on how to start an Etsy shop. And there's another one about blogging. So one of their episodes I had listened to when I was recovering from my stroke was about this woman who started a business selling principal planner supplies. So planners, she sold planners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the stationary stuff. And so it was printables. And I and I really like that stuff. I love stationery and I'm really into writing things down and I have like a million different planners. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of cool. I could see myself trying something like that. So she was on their podcast and then they started masterminds on how to do that. So I completed that in listening to these five podcasts and learning about five, I started to understand the idea of having a side hustle. And so I thought, well, this would be the perfect side hustle because I'm at home. I'm recovering from a stroke. I don't have to go driving all around doing things for work. I could do this from home. So I took the course and so I started my shop, my Etsy shop. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A month ago. That kind of stuff. Like when I was working in clinic. You didn't have time for that, right? Oh, no. So you're not actively working. Is the plan to go back to some sort of active clinical work? Or are you going to then now pursue maybe the side hustle and other things? What do you think you're going to end up doing? I think I want to do a mix kind of a combination as much as I can fit in. I do want to eventually go back to patient care, not in the same sort of capacity and energy output that I was doing before. Medicine is changing so much. And I feel like there's different ways to practice medicine that are coming up in terms of, I think one example might be virtual medicine. So I might want to do something like that, maybe even start my own virtual practice or almost like a group membership type of thing, like a membership practice that could be both local and virtual. Right. Similar to like what you did with the mastermind, the personal finance mastermind. Right, right. For medical issues and not as like people's primary doctor, but more sort of as a consultant for patients for health. Right. I'm hearing that because you started on this journey, and this is what I tell everyone that why, again, I think everyone should be on this journey is not just the the end FI date, that's 7, 12, 20, whatever years from now. It's all the progress and things that open up for you while you're on the journey. So because you understand how to budget and you paid off all your debt and you're in a good place financially, and on top of that now, you have the wherewithal to start exploring other parts of what you're interested in. So side hustling and you're slowing down to enjoy life. Your life is so much more improved. It puts you in such a better place to be happy today on your journey. Yes. Yes, that's so true. I mean, I think that if I hadn't learned the five things that I learned from podcasts like yours or from just reading what I read on it, reading the books, I think that I would be in a real panic mode. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially after the stroke, I would have thought, oh my gosh, we're now down to living off of one salary and how are we going to pay for X, Y, and Z? I mean, sure, there's still worries like, oh, we're not going to save. I always worry about saving for college. Like, are we going to get a little off track on our college savings and things like that? But it's not with the same sense of panic, I guess, that would happen had I not had the protection of having the disability insurance. And it does replace some income, but I think in a lot of ways, it also just buys you time. It bought me time. Right. What now would you say to people listening, journeyers, other people who are wanting to get further ahead on their journey to feel that they also are making some progress? Any insight, any lessons learned that you can share? 
Oh, absolutely. I would say budget. Budget every single day. If you have the time, even if it's five minutes. Budget, meaning you don't have to sit down and make this whole big plan every day, but write it down. For me, especially after I took your budget boot camp, I started writing down everything in my notebook or my planner, writing down my daily expenses after I did the three-month look back to see where everything was going. And I think that's an important part of the process too. It's like, look at your habits and look at where you're spending and look at the ways that you're losing your money in a way that you're not even intending to. Like, be intentional about it. Because I think if you, like, after I did that three-month look back, I thought, wow, well, we weren't even thinking about the value of our money when we were spending the money on X, Y, and Z. But after I did that, and then I started saying, okay, well, then let's shift things a little bit. Let's spend a little bit less here, a little bit less there. Let's continue spending this on that. And then I started writing it down and doing the active budgeting. I mean, we saved thousands of dollars. I think I told you this. Like we went from spending insane amounts of money that I don't even, oh, it just makes me cringe thinking about it. I think we cut our expenses by 25 to 30%. And that saved us thousands of dollars. So that would be my number one thing is to budget, learn how to budget. And if it doesn't seem to work for you the first time around, find different ways, find different people to teach it to you, find different books, podcasts, take a course. The other thing I would say is to have all the insurance you are supposed to have. I mean, everybody knows about health insurance. For me, especially being a doctor and seeing how people's lives are affected when they don't have health insurance, I would say that's the number one thing because your health is your wealth. Is that a saying? I think it's a thing. Your health I is think wealth. it is. I've heard that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if not, it is now. Your health is your wealth. Right. Yes. It's so true. So have that. Do whatever it takes to have health insurance. And of course, if you have a family, life insurance, because if something were to happen to you, you wouldn't want your children and anyone else who depends on you, you wouldn't want them to suffer. And then, of course, if anything were to happen to you, just think to yourself, if I were to become disabled or unable to work for any period, any length of time for months or years, How much of our income would we lose and would we be able to live without that? And if you don't think you could live without that income, then definitely, I think disability insurance is a good idea. It's a great idea. Oh, my gosh. So I'm just loving your tips. And I think a lot of people will benefit from this. And I just want to thank you again for coming on, Lynn. So Lynn is an active member in the Facebook community also. So after you listen to this, if you want to connect more with Lynn, just hop into the Facebook group journeytolaunch.com slash community to learn more about Lynn or to ask her questions if maybe you have some questions. And then also, Lynn, I'm going to link your Etsy shop in there. So oh, awesome! if they like planner stuff, they can check it out. So again, thanks so much, Lynn, for coming on. I really appreciate you sharing the story. Thank you, Jamila. This is great. Thank you for everything that you've done. You've taught me so much and I'm sure thousands of people are learning a lot from you too. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lynn, my first Journeyer profile released episode. Again, if you are digging this, if you want to see more of it, let me know. Trust me, I'm looking at all your comments, your feedback. And if you want to see more, I'll continue doing more of it. 
again, if you're looking to check out the budget bootcamp that Lynn referred to throughout the episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash budget bootcamp. It's actually a recording of the live budget bootcamp that I taught a few months ago. So it's a two hour class. It's recorded and have some walkthroughs and some other stuff. So if you're interested, go check it out. Journeytolaunch.com slash budget bootcamp. If you want to be considered to be on the podcast to share your story as a journeyer, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash journeyer profile. There you'll get some more information about how to submit your story. Also, I'm going to be doing some Q&A soon. So I might do a full Q&A episode or just do a couple of Q&As at the end of some episodes here and there. If you want to submit your question to be answered on the podcast, go to journeytolaunch.com slash ask Jamila. Episode show notes, as usual, can be found at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 63. All right, journeyers, until next time, keep on journeying. Journeying.